Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Kiva, and we're going to have such a fun hour together because it's the last Tuesday of the month, which means we're going to answer your questions. So let's get into it. Question number one. I've been dating a guy for a few months and everything has been amazing. It was honestly kind of love at first sight. It's felt like a fairy tale since the beginning. The only problem is, now that we are four months in, I've had a few incidents where I've snapped at him, gone a little crazy, had a meltdowns, threatened to end it. It's happened three times. Each time, I promised him it would never happen again, but the next time, it has felt impossible to control myself. It's like an out-of-body experience. There is a voice there telling me not to, but it literally feels like I can't. I'm terrified I'm going to lose him. Do you have any advice? I sure fucking do. <laughs> so I've been there many, many times. Um, you know, it's funny. You said you, it's felt like it's impossible to control myself. So let me tell you a story. Do you guys remember last week I talked about how I first met the comedian, like the whole story of how we first met and the initial stages of us dating. If you haven't listened, you can go back and listen to that. I'm not going to repeat how we first met and et cetera, et cetera. But I want to fast forward a little bit to kind of right when I moved to New York. So I moved to New York. I move into my own place and and everything's going well. Kind of actually exactly how you described. Like it's felt like a fairy tale. You know, we had this like magical kismet meeting. It felt like I manifested it. It felt like, you know, it was in the stars. Like everything was aligned. Everything had been perfect up until then. And right when I first moved to New York, we went to... His friend who lived like by Times Square had this rooftop party. So I remember we were there and then when we left, he was like, oh my God, everything's been so magical and amazing with you. Like, please promise me you're never going to go crazy. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know how girls are crazy. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. Yeah, no, totally. I won't. No, I'm so evolved. I'm so different than that. And to my credit, I'd been in therapy for years. I'd been doing so much work on myself. I'd meditated every single day without fail for over a year. I thought that my crazy ass behaviors were a thing of the past because I also, I hadn't dated in a long time. So I didn't know that I was still crazy. I thought I was done being crazy. So I thought when I told him, promised him that I wasn't going to go crazy, I thought it was real. Like I thought I was different now. Anyway, fast forward like maybe two days later, <laughs> he hits me up and he's like, hey, this um, friend of mine who's like a celebrity chef, he's like private chef for the Kardashians on their yacht, um, wants to go out and he wants to meet up at this bar in the West Village. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we went to this bar. I really you know what's funny? I literally can't remember what bar it was or even where in the West Village it was because I had just moved to New York. Like I'd literally been there for like four days. So I didn't even know the neighborhood that well. And I lived in the West Village, but I just, you know, the West Village is so different from the rest of New York in terms of the structure, like the grid system completely falls apart and stuff. So I don't even remember what street it was on. It doesn't fucking matter. So I get there. And it's me, the comedian, the celebrity chef guy, and some chick that he's with. 
And so right when we get there, I realize I'm like way underdressed and I already felt a little bit uncomfortable. And um, the guy, the celebrity chef guy is like, oh, this place makes these really good absinthe cocktails. Like, should we get them? And so we're like, OK, sure. So we started having these absinthe cocktails and I had a few like I remember I was drinking really fast and I even remember being like, hmm, Hifa, you're drinking kind of fast. Like that's something to keep an eye on. <laughs> And so whatever, we finish drinks, we go back to my place because like I said, I just moved there and I lived in the neighborhood. Now, up until this point, our entire relationship had been at the comedian's place on his terms. Like I slept on the shitty side of the bed. There was no like nightstand. I was like smushed up against the wall. Like I had to like keep my shit under the pillow. Um, it was like always on her his terms, his schedule. Like he could never do normal things with me that like I wanted to do because of the thing that he was doing, the work thing that he was doing. Remember, I think what did I say? He was hosting something. He the thing that he was hosting like he could never like I remember my friend got married he couldn't come with me like just like normal things he could never really do with me like we could never really have dinner because he was hosting that show every night um so like a lot of like normal things we couldn't do everything was always on his terms so what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it I was always bending over backwards for him it was always his show like he ran the show like I was there to serve him I was there to serve his needs like I would do his laundry I would do his dishes like not because he asked me to but because I was always trying to make myself indispensable so that he would be like oh my god this girl is amazing like she's like an angel sent from heaven like not only is she cute and funny and fun but she's good at sex and she does everything like I will never break up with her you know like that was kind of my goal like we've all been there right and I was tired like I was fucking tired of just making myself be perfect and just always like we were constantly talking about him his career like what he should do next whether he should take this opportunity whether he shouldn't take it not that you shouldn't be having these conversations guess how many conversations we would have about me and my career I told him one time that I thought I was leaving law but I didn't know what I wanted to do and he's like wow aren't you a little too old for that and then I never spoke about myself again. One time he even said to me, he was like, wow, you know what I really like about you? And I was like, what? And he's like, you never talk about yourself. And I was like, oh, oh. And he's like, yeah, no, other people always want to talk about themselves. But like, you just like, you never talk about work. You never talk about your friends. You never talk about your life. Like, it's never about you and your stupid bullshit drama. And like it was like message received, like you don't want to know anything about me. You don't care about anything about me. You don't actually want to be integrated in my life. Anyway, I just want to lay the foundation for what happened next. So we go out, we have the absinthe drinks. We see some green fairies. Just getting. We don't see green fairies because fun fact, the ingredient in absinthe that makes it hallucinogenic, I can't remember what it is. Whatever it is, it's banned in the US. So if you have absinthe in the US, you're really just having a shitty tasting type of liquor. Anyway, so we get back to my place and he gets in my bed and I'm like, finally, we're here in my apartment, in my bed. My dog is here. Like we get to actually integrate lives rather than like me just being in his life. Like we can now finally come together as a duo. And I was really fucking pumped about that. Okay. I just realized that I 
did not plug in the camera. Hold on one second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Woo, okay, we are good. Anyway. So I'm really fucking excited to have him, you know, fit into or like have our lives merge rather than me just be this thing in his life. And he's in my bed. I go to the bathroom to brush my teeth and get ready for bed. And I'm just really, really excited. And I you know I'd put a lot of effort into my appearance. And uh, again, I was still so in my like constantly trying to perform for him so that he thinks I'm indispensable and amazing. And one of the many ways that I'd really try to perform was sex. So I was really, really excited to have sex. And I was like drunk and horny. Not that the sex was fulfilling for me in any way. I never had anything even loosely resembling an orgasm with him. Nevertheless, I was excited to put on a show and like blow his mind and him be like, oh my God, this cool ass chick who like now finally lives in New York and like my friends love her and everything's amazing and she's so fun and and she's amazing and bad yada yada okay so I go to the bathroom I brush my teeth I come out and he's asleep and something about that just fucking set me off in my drunken psycho brain like I can't even explain it but all of a sudden it's like these months and months and months that I'd been swallowing things like the girl in LA that I never spoke up about like the fact that Everything was always on his terms. The fact that he literally didn't give a shit about me. He just liked how I made him feel. All of these things just came bubbling to the surface and I fucking lost it. I raged the fuck out. Like I yelled at him. I was like, get the fuck out. Like, I don't even want to see you anymore. Like, just get out of here. Like, blah, blah. And he was like, what the fuck is going on? And so the next day I'm like groveling, apologizing, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I went so crazy, like blah, blah, blah. Um, and he wanted nothing to do with me. You know, a while later, we really rekindled and reconciled. But I'm not going to bore you with that whole story. This is actually or who knows, we'll probably talk about that next week. But this is the part that I want to get to. So after all this happened, I reached out to my friend Celia and did I just make up a name on the spot? Yes, I did. And I, you know, I was like telling her, I was like, yeah, you know, I really went crazy on the comedian last night, like blah, blah. And I remember she was like trying to give me like, I think she thought in her head that she was giving me this like profound, deep, amazing advice. And she's like, you just like you really have to control yourself. Like you just can't let that happen. Like you have to control your behavior. You have to control yourself. And I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it, 
That is hands down the most idiotic, garbage, worst advice you could ever fucking give someone. Just control yourself? The fuck you talking about, bitch? If I knew how to control myself, don't you think I would have already controlled myself? What, you think I chose not to? I thought it would be fun to not. I thought it would be fun to blow up my fucking life. It's like telling someone who's experiencing anxiety or panic, like, just calm down. Yeah, no shit. Of course I want to fucking calm down. What the fuck? You think I'm enjoying having anxiety? You think this this was my choice. You think I sat around and I was like, hmm, should I calm down or should I experience what feels like fucking help? Mm, I'm going to go with option B actually. But now that you say it, okay, I'll choose option A. Idiot. Fucking moron. She is a moron. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. If you have a pattern of behavior that you don't like, you have to figure out why you're exhibiting that pattern of behavior. You can't just try to will yourself out of it. Like that's never going to work. Just trying to control yourself, just trying to change something without getting to the root and excavating it and figuring it out is a lot like... If you were to have a drawer that's overstuffed and it won't stay shut, it's like trying to just hold the drawer shut. Like, have you ever had a drawer that's just overfilled? Like my sock drawer, my sock. Like, why the fuck is my sock drawer so full? Like, I I wear the same pair of socks every single day. Why do I have so many socks? Like, what the fuck is going on? You know what it is? I think Ozzy and I share a sock drawer. I think that's what's happening now that I think about it. Like, I think we literally have all of our socks in one drawer. I don't understand why, because we have two separate dressers that are in two separate rooms. Nevertheless, I think we share a sock drawer. Like, I think that he's just, I don't know. Like, he just, <laughs> he just wants us to share a sock. I don't know. Anyway, it's overfilled. Besides the point. So when you have a drawer that like we've all had, right, a drawer that's overfilled because like we're not managing our stuff well, trying to just control your behavior is like trying to manually hold the drawer shut. It'll work for a period of time. But eventually your hand's going to get tired or you're going to have to pee or you're going to get hungry or something's going to happen and you're not going to be able to hold the drawer shut anymore. Your hand's going to slip and everything is going to come exploding out. That is not the way to implement change. You have to pull it open pull out some fucking socks and get rid of them or split them between multiple drawers because this way is not sustainable. So similarly, you are going to need to figure out what is making you snap and freak out and let's see, threaten to end it and have meltdowns and go a little crazy. Now, I can tell you this really sounds like kind of classic anxious attachment, but at the end of the day, you really are going to have to figure out, get to the root of it and really excavate from the root. And then you won't even need 
to manually hold the drawer shut. You won't even need to control yourself because you won't even have the urge there. Once you get rid of some of the socks, you know, the troublemaker socks, the ones that have holes in them, you don't need socks that have holes in them or the ones that are discolored or mismatched pairs. Throw that shit in the fucking garbage. Similarly here, if you get to the root of it, you'll find all of these painful and shameful memories that have caused this behavior for you that have chipped away at your confidence and your security levels such that it now manifests in this behavior. And when you process and integrate these memories and experiences, it's akin to getting rid of the old crusty socks that you no longer need. Or in my case, maybe I can split my shit with my boyfriend. Like, what the fuck is going on? Why are all these socks in one drawer? You know what? After I record this, I need to go organize things. Anyway, (laughs) but it's akin to getting rid of those old socks. So that way the drawer shuts and then you don't even have to hold it. You can just go live your life. You can go eat. You can go pee. You can be like me and walk your dog 14 times a day and never sleep. You can go and do all of these things and live your best life. You won't even need to control your behavior. Now, I'm not going to get into how to get to the root of it and work work through it because we're literally doing an entire episode on this next week. So come back and listen to next week's episode. But I really wanted to address this element of like just trying to control your behavior because that is never the answer. Okay, um, come back next week. Bye. What, who am I saying bye to? What was that? What's happening here? Just a little crazy energy today and I'm here for it. It's a little spicy. It's a little saucy. Um, did I blow out everyone's eardrums five minutes ago when I was shrieking at Celia? Yes. Um, okay, question number two. My husband is the most lovely guy, but one problem in our marriage is that no matter what I complain about, he wants to fix it. When sometimes I just want him to listen and commiserate. It's so annoying. What do I do? How fucking relatable is this, right? It's such a trope and it's it's a trope because it's a real thing. Men were raised to be fixers. Society never validated men for being emotionally intelligent and holding space and being good listeners and things like that. Men were validated for fixing things. They were never modeled listening and holding space. They were modeled fixing and doing. And this is, that's why we see it happen so much. You know, I, (laughs) a couple months ago, got into it with Ozzy about this because I, so when I record the podcast, I have a desktop computer in my office and I have all of my files on my iCloud and they're very well organized. And up until two days ago, when I noticed iCloud now offers more storage, I had two terabytes of iCloud storage, which I know was a lot, but keep in mind, I have a fuck ton of video and audio files. So you need a ton of space when you're in this line of work. And up until very recently, two terabytes was the max that they offered. So every once in a while, I'd have to go and offload files to an external drive, which is such a pain in the ass. Anyway, 
So what I do is I record in the studio and I record the audio onto my desktop computer in the studio and the video goes on the camera. And then I do just the audio cleanup on the desktop and I export that audio file. There's a reason why I'm taking you so behind the scenes of the podcast right now. Like I know no one wants to know how the sausage is made, but trust me, there is a reason why we're doing all this. So, um, I clean up the audio, I export it, and it goes onto the iCloud, and then I upload the video file onto my laptop, and then I sync them on my laptop, and I go through and I do all of the post-production on my laptop, because I like to sit on the couch with Samantha, my dog, when I do it. So... When my iCloud is too full, when my iCloud is good, all of my files are on all of my Apple devices at all times. But when my iCloud is too full, it won't sync. And so a couple of months ago, I had exported the audio file. I went to the couch. I'm cuddling up with the dog. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it looks like my iCloud is too full again because I don't see the audio file. And I was just kind of moaning about it. There was no other purpose to it. What I would often do in that scenario is like I would either just sit and do like once in a while I'll do the manual exporting to the external drive so that then everything can sync again but usually like in a time sensitive situation like that was a time sensitive situation I needed to get all the post-production done I will just go take my laptop into the studio and I just airdrop the audio file from my desktop computer to my laptop done case closed so I was about to go do it and Ozzy after me complaining about the thing not syncing, takes my laptop, comes in the studio, is on the desktop computer, is like doing all of these things on the iCloud to like fix it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this man doing? And like literally for an hour and a half is like fussing with things, trying to figure out why it's not syncing and like moving all this stuff and emptying the trash and doing all this shit. And then he brings it back. And I was like, the fuck were you just doing? Like I have work to do. You just took my computer for an hour and a half. And he's like, oh, well, I fixed it. And I was like, I didn't ask you to fix it. And he's like, well, yeah, you did. And I was like, no, I didn't. And he's like, yeah, you did. And I was like, when did I ask you to fix it? And he's like, well, you said it wasn't sinking. And I was like, what part of it's not sinking sounds to you like, please fix this for me? Like, just read, like, when did I say the, like, I said it's not sinking. You heard, please fix it. And he's like, well, why else would you tell me? And I was like, I don't know what to complain. And he's like, well, what am I supposed to just, like, sit and listen to you complain? Like, what, like, why else would you tell me something other than to fix it? And I was like, what? <laughs> Like, you think any time I talk essentially is a bid for you to fix something for me? Like, do you, like, I'm talking all day long and half the shit I talk about, you know what? I complain about how cold it is all the time. I'm yet to see you fix the weather. Like, <laughs> and then I realize literally. Every time I complain, he thinks that what I'm saying is fix this for me. And so probably anytime I complain about something that he literally has no control over, like the weather, 
it sends him into literal agony because he knows he can't fix it. Because that's the thing. Men were socialized, men were raised, and men were reinforced to fix things. Like, it's so fascinating. And, like... It's so different from how we were brought up, you know, like women were raised to be empathetic, oh my God, empathetic and um, compassionate and good listeners and just sit and validate each other. I mean, the way like my best friend, Nicole and I, ooh, I just called her my best friend. It's the first time I've called her my best friend. Oh my God. (laughs) Not Nicole finding out the status of our relationship through this podcast. You know, it's funny when Ozzy and I were first dating, he would listen to the podcast. And I remember uh, one time we were like in some social situation and like I was meeting people for the first time. They were like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I have a podcast. And they turned to him and they were like, oh, do you listen? He's like, yeah, I have to. I have to know what's going on in our relationship (laughs) via listening to the podcast. Anyway, so Nicole... I guess you're my best friend now. Um, But Nicole and I are constantly sending each other voice memos. And half of what we do every day is just validate each other's feelings, right? Like it's usually me complaining about everything that's going on with Sam and how hard it is. And she, you know, complains about things going on in her life. And literally half the time, all we're saying is like, oh my God, that's so hard. Oh my God, I'm so sorry that you're dealing with that. No, that's so hard. You have every right to be upset. And it feels so good to get that validation, right? Like it's, it to me, it's the best thing you can ever do to someone is when they complain, just validate that they're, they're upsetness. Although not everyone receives it so well. I remember uh, we used to be really close to this girl, Kelsey. I don't know if she listens. Um, That is her real name. I'm so sorry if you listen. But I remember one time she was complaining about something and I was like, oh my God, no, that sucks. And like everything she would say, I'd be like, no, that's so awful. That's like the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, how are you even alive right now? Like in my mind, I was just validating everything that she said. And she's like, why are you trying to make it worse than it already is? And I was like, whoa. I'm so sorry. That is so not what I was trying to do. I was just trying to validate your experience. But, you know, not everyone likes that. Like, my mom really likes it when, if she complains, if you're like, no, it's not so bad. And that's what my mom then tries to do with me, which, like, fucking gets me to see red. I remember one time I was in law school and I was complaining about something. And she's like, well, at least you don't have cancer. I was like, are you fucking kidding me, you bitch? You're going to pull out the cancer card. At least you don't have cancer. Yeah, like, okay, thanks. Yeah, I know everyone, like, always, someone always has it worse than someone else. Like, that's not, like, we're not in the trauma Olympics here, okay? <laughs> anyway, like, how did we go to, oh, men fixing things. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So women... Like this is this is how women were raised. This is what was reinforced for women, whereas that was generally how men are raised and socialized. And that's what tends to be reinforced for men. So even though they've heard the tropes of like men aren't good listeners and like blah, 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 they can't integrate it because like I said, they're not even hearing that they're here. Like like I pointed out with Ozzy, all I said was it didn't sink. What he heard is make it sink. He didn't even hear what I said. He just heard something completely different and then wasted an hour and a half of my time. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so 
Here is my advice. Number one, if you really want to vent to your husband, then I would communicate that you are venting and that you don't need help. And I wouldn't say this once. I would say this every single time. So preface every single time that you want to vent with, hey, can I vent to you about something? I don't need help. I don't need you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me vent. Every single time I would preface it, And he still might fuck it up because, again, it's so deeply ingrained in them that they just don't know how not to do it. But the bigger thing I would say is, can we just normalize your partner not being everything to you all the time? Like, I think it's so fucking healthy to have female friendships and women are just better at this shit. If you want to vent, vent to a fucking chick, vent to your female friends. Why do you even want to vent to your husband? Like, I don't even want to vent to Ozzy anymore going forward. Not because like he's going to fix it every time, because I know if I tell him not to, he won't. But he's not good at it. Like, my girlfriends are just so much fucking better at it. So let's just normalize having different types of relationships for different things and our romantic partners not being our best friends or go to the person that we complain to, the person that we get advice from, the person that we have fun with, the person that we, uh, you know, go in business with. They should be some of those things, but they shouldn't be all of those things all of the time all at once. Okay, moving right along. Oh, this is a fun one. I have a friend who loves doing bougie things, expensive fancy dinners, shopping at designer stores, etc. But she always complains and nitpicks when we do these things. For example, she will complain at a Michelin star restaurant that her steak wasn't cooked right or the sommelier didn't pair wine correctly. Sorry, I'm just laughing because, like, they probably did, you know? (laughs) Like, it's their line of work and they've been accredited as being some of the best in this field. Like, they probably did. It doesn't really bother me per se. I'm more intrigued as to why some people are like this. Do you have any insights? Yes, yes, I do. I think that people complain because they don't want to look like noobs. Um, I see this a lot actually on Below Deck. So Below Deck, the Bravo show is a show, if you're not familiar, I mean, you should be, it's a really fucking good show where people can charter yachts and it follows the crew that works on chartered yachts. And when people book these yachts to be on Below Deck on Bravo, they get a very, very discounted price. I believe chartering a yacht for a week is like, a six-digit situation, which I will never wrap my mind around. Like, unless I was a literal billionaire, I just don't understand how you could ever drop that much money for a vacation, but whatever. Um, And I believe if you do it through Bravo and are on the show, it's like, like a like it's like like you end up paying like five digits so we're talking a very fucking hefty discount and I think as a result like think about it if you're rich enough to charter a real yacht there's no fucking way that you're gonna do it on a television show like you couldn't pay me to take a vacation 
on and have it televised for a reality show. Like that's not a vacation. That's work. Like, I mean, you could pay me. It just, it's a matter of how much you pay me. You know what I mean? Like it's a job. Like I'm not going to do that shit for fun. Like I'm not going to pay money to do it. Are you out of your fucking mind? So the people who were chartering yachts through the TV show are people who can't afford to charter a yacht otherwise, generally speaking. And some of them are really lovely, amazing people. Some of them you can tell are overcompensating for that insecurity and are really trying to act like they've been there before. And the way that they overcompensate is by being nitpicky and judgmental about things. Like they don't want to act like a fangirl. They don't, they don't want to act super impressed. So instead they overcompensate in that way. It's, it's, like a very normal thing. And I think it's usually very unconscious, unconscious or like subconscious. Um, you know, when there is something that you are repressing in yourself, you often go above and beyond in the opposite direction as a means of trying to convince others and usually yourself that you are not that thing. So in this scenario, when people act like this, I think that they're usually insecure about their own fanciness. And so they go above and beyond by trying to be like, I'm so fancy that even this fancy thing isn't fancy enough for me. You know, I <laughs> I have a friend who studied, um, she was in medical school in the Caribbean, and she dated this guy who lived down there who was American and this guy like grew up like really like working class poor and got really 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 rich setting up a gambling business but then the U.S. government came after him for the gambling business and actually I will say I think like listen is it like part of my like moral ethical code like the gambling business that he had set up no but I don't think he actually really did anything wrong. And I think the U.S. government really unfairly came after him and like stole a lot of his money. But nevertheless, he still had a ton, a ton, a ton of cash. And he fled the U.S. and was living in the Caribbean. And she started dating him. And I went down to visit her and stayed with them. And he, when I tell you, is like probably the worst person I've ever met in my life. Like, I don't think I've ever disliked someone so much. Like he was just an absolute monster. Like he treated my friend like such shit. Like he treated her so bad that it was honestly hard to understand. Like it was like, like I was almost impressed by his balls. <laughs> like he, like A, she was like practically a maid in the house taking care of him, doing everything for him. Now, in all fairness, he was handling everything financially. So there is that. Um, like literally she like quit her entire life to like be at his beck and call, which honestly is her fault, not his. Nevertheless, like she was always so sweet, so amazing to him, never complained about anything, like never acted crazy, was just like, you know, like constantly performing sexually, constantly cooking, constantly cleaning, constantly being sweet, taking care of his friends, doing everything, never like couldn't be me anyway. Um, and he still would have the audacity to do crazy ass shit. Like one time he's like, 
we should break up. Oh, no, 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 not like he like basically he didn't want to break up with her. So he would constantly up the ante to see what he would get away with. Like he's like, well, I don't know if I can be in a relationship where like we're not having threesomes. So she's like, "Okay, I guess I'll have a threesome. And like you could tell she didn't want to like, "Okay, I guess I'll do this. Like, oh, I mean, it was like honestly really sad and really hard to watch. But on top of that, he was also just a wildebeest like he was so awful to be around and one night we're out at dinner and um and like what I didn't realize at the time is that he really had a lot of that like new money noobness where he you know grew up poor and like all of a sudden was like really really rich and just trying to fit in with these people who had always been rich and he hadn't and he had a lot of insecurity around that and so he would overcompensate and I didn't realize all this so we're out at dinner and he ordered hot sake and my brother has spent a lot of time in Asia And I remember like right before that, him and I were out to eat at a Japanese restaurant and he was talking about how in Japan, no one drinks hot sake. It's always cold. Like uh, hot sake is like a very American thing. And I just thought it was interesting. And in retrospect, I really regret bringing it up because like when I was like, oh, you know, I was just out at dinner with my brother and he mentioned that like, you know, hot sake is like really just an American thing. Like I just thought it was so interesting. He really received it as like, you're so uncultured, like, because like, you know, he's never been to Japan. Like he didn't grow up with money. He wasn't traveling. He just suddenly became rich and then became exiled and like now is stuck on this island and can't travel. And I really like, not only was I not intending to hit a nerve, but I probably didn't have the social skills and the social awareness at the time to realize I was hitting a nerve. Like I genuinely was just making conversation that's all I was trying to do the way that this man fucking lost it like he went full feral like he was like like okay <laughs> last summer Ozzy and I were at the like west side Har- uh, highway like the um, Hudson River Park and there was this absolutely stunning Bengal cat there are you guys familiar with Bengal cats they're like half domesticated cats and they are majestic creatures. It was my first time seeing one in the flesh and they're like nothing I've ever seen before. It's like a little mini cheetah. Like it's, it's a thing of awe and beauty, like nothing I've ever seen before. And so this chick had her Bengal cat out on a leash. I guess like they're really, I mean, they're like barely domesticated. So they really do need a lot of outdoor time. And so I'm talking to Ozzy. I'm like, holy shit, look at this cat. It's so majestic. It's so beautiful. It's my first time seeing a Bengal cat. Like how stunning, yada, yada, yada. And this cat just looks at me, locks eye contact for like a full minute and then goes, I mean, hissed the fuck out of me, like so virile, so feral. What's virile? Feral. So, I mean, just psycho, full psycho. Like, I will eat you as an appetizer, you dumb bitch. Like, that's exactly how this man reacted to me. Like, he spent the rest of the night glaring at me, hissing at me, making snide comments like, well, I guess I just like I'm doing the Americanized thing because I guess I just like don't know. And I was like, what the fuck is going like? It was honestly like a bomb went off. Like it was one of the scariest nights of my life. And then when we were driving back, he 
was driving so fast and swerving so much that I I honestly think he was like trying to kill me without like getting in legal trouble for killing me. So I think he was like trying to stage a car accident. Like it was so psycho. And now that I realize a lot more, I realize that what really happened is like I triggered this man's insecurity. And so to bring it back to your question, I think it just really goes back to insecurity. Like I'm guessing your friend didn't grow up with a whole lot and now she has a little bit of something and that's why she's overcompensating in that way. And like a fun, like a way that I see people do this all the time is like to try to act cool and like, you know, act like you've been there before. So yeah, it is what it is, you know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Next question. I've been seeing a guy for a few weeks and everything was going great. But then last weekend I was out drinking with my girlfriends. I wanted to meet up with him after, but he didn't answer my text. I was drunk and went a little crazy. I texted him a bunch of times and then got angry and told him I didn't want to see him anymore. Then I blocked and unblocked his number a bunch of times. I'm not sure if he ever responded because he could have texted or called while I had him blocked. I want to crawl into my skin. I really don't want to blow this. I really liked the guy. What do I do? Okay, first of all, you have basically just described like every fucking Saturday night of mine between the ages of 18 to 30. So (laughs) that's like the most relatable thing I've ever heard. Okay, I have very clear, easy, and simple advice for this. Number one, take a beat, say nothing. Number two, apologize. This is what I would say, like, more or less verbatim. Because I I take it, like, you guys haven't been seeing each other that long. Like, this isn't that well-established of a thing. Don't do too much. Say something along the lines of this. I'm so sorry. I was obviously drunk and super insecure, and that insecurity got the best of me. That's not healthy, nor is it fair to you. And just so you know, this is super out of character for me. Now, this is the most important part of this. After you send that text, say nothing, nothing at all. Don't apologize again. Don't try to talk it through. Don't try to explain yourself. Do not apologize again. We, I think, often have this urge when we apologize to want to go over the top or apologize over and over again or like, how can I make it up to you or cry or things like that. Do not do any of those things because when you over apologize or cry when you're apologizing or any of these things, essentially what you're doing is you are trying to get the other person to make you feel better. But it is not the responsibility of the person that you hurt to make you feel better about your fuck up. You are just going to have to live in the discomfort of what you did. But what you should do instead is turn it inward because there's a reason why this shit happened. And that reason is probably more than just alcohol. Yes, alcohol brought it out, but there is a deeper reason. Like maybe your needs aren't being fully met in this situation. Maybe you're insecure. Does this happen for you often? Is this actually out of character or not? Like, do you do this type of shit? Because like I used to do this shit all the time, but obviously it would happen more with certain types of guys where, you know, they were a little more avoidant And I was a little bit more unsure about things, you know, going back kind of to the top of the episode with the comedian. Um, Take this time after you apologize to really go inward and figure out what happened and 
you also should definitely listen to next episode because we are really, really going to get to the root of this because I, you say this is super out of character for me, make sure it's actually super out of character for you. And if you listen to next episode, you will have the tools to actually make sure that it's actually out of character for you from now through the rest of your life. Okay, thanks. How are we on time? Okay, we'll do a couple more. Ooh, okay, this is a really good one. I feel as though I have always been anxiously attached in relationships, i.e. feeling incomplete or anxious without my partner, excuse me, partner, unsettled when they have other plans that don't include me, insecure around other females and my partner, feeling inferior to the other woman or that he might be more interested in them, etc., love that self-awareness. I am currently dating someone I deemed avoidant as he does not show emotion, affection, withholds affection when I try to make physical contact and otherwise is only intimate with me during sexual intercourse. We argue a lot and his responses are always sarcastic or mean and I feel like he makes our problems bigger instead of offering a solution. I feel burnt out slash that he doesn't care about the relationship. But after our big fights, we always seem to reconcile, which makes me feel like maybe he does care about me and doesn't know how to show it in a healthy way. Our most current issue is that he basically lives at my apartment with me and does not contribute at all financially. He will occasionally wash a dish, but he does not do much else willingly. I recently said something about it because he literally stays with me seven days a week. I'm not working right now as I'm taking time off from my mental health and on paid medical leave, which will be ending soon. I'm only earning 60% of my prior income, and I think that contributes to my stress. For reference, I'm 35 years old and he's 32. I'm just not sure if I should invest any more time into a man who refuses to communicate with me and only makes poor me victim comments when I try to talk about things. I've been working extremely hard on my self-esteem and self-confidence and slowly moving away from my anxious attachment style, but I think his behavior and comments are causing me to regress and feel insecure. Any help or input is extremely appreciated. Okay. So yes, this sounds like super classic anxious attachment. Um, It also sounds like a tiny bit of codependency. Um, Codependency is different from anxious attachment in that like the way that we colloquially use codependency is actually anxious attachment, like everything you described. But codependency is the inability to tolerate the discomfort of others. And people who are codependent tend to really go above and beyond for other people and like want to do things and make themselves indispensable. And there's a huge overlap with like a lot of anxiously attached people also are codependent. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's like a little bit of both going on here. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um Listen, I'm not going to lie to you. This relationship does not sound great. And this person, it sounds like you deserve a lot better than this person. That being said, I'm not going to tell you to break up with him because I think that you need to come to that conclusion on your own. And also, I've been exactly where you are before. And I know that when you're in that place, it's extreme. feels often impossible to walk away, even when you know you should, even when you know you deserve better, even when you, I mean, like you literally didn't list any redeeming thing about this person at all. Like think about the story I just told about my friend in the Caribbean. 
at least that dude was rich, you know, <laughs> um, it does. And I'm sure he has his redeeming qualities and I'm sure you guys probably have fun together. And like, there are times where you feel loved, especially, you know, when you're making up from big fights, which like, good God, is that a dopamine hit? Like I've fucking been there. Nevertheless, I know how hard it is to walk away. Like I've been in situations almost identical to this, including when I dated Van Guy, he was like practically living with me and not contributing financially. Now he was doing a lot around the house, but he also was sometimes an asshole and sometimes really amazing. But like, yo, in my twenties, there are two guys in a row that were like living with me, not contributing financially, terrible people treated me really awfully, um, were really abusive, kind of in every way like like there was like I'm not gonna get into it right now but like there was a situation where I was very like bruised and tattered now I will say like was I psycho and egging things on sure but like there were some really dark times, you know, when I still, still had a hard time walking away. Like it's actually fucking nuts how hard it can be to exit a relationship when you have anxious attachment. Even though you know you should and you know you deserve better, there's part of your subconscious that's like, well, what if I don't meet anyone else? And like, it's like you're addicted and you just can't seem to do it. So I'm totally, totally there with you. So instead of like telling you, yeah, leave him, whatever, I want to dig a little bit deeper. Number one, I'm very curious to know what your childhood was like. Did you witness either parent or like childhood caretaker being taken advantage of in any way? Did you witness any sort of abuse? And I say abuse because like, yes, maybe this is an abuse like, like hitting, but like it's, it's, it's abusive to like ridicule someone when they try to talk to you about their feelings. It's, it's abusive to, uh, you know, like withhold any sort of affection from them. Like these things are like forms of abuse. So like, did you witness any sort of that, like kind of like verbal abuse, things like that in childhood? Um, what was the breakdown of household tasks like in your childhood home? Was there one parent who was really doing a lot more than the other parent? Um, how did your parents show each other love? Like, how did they display love? And when I say parents, I mean, whatever childhood caretakers you were primarily around. So like it, you know, if your parents were divorced, if they were remarried or, you know, like, so whatever, whatever situation you are most around, I just would be very, very curious to know what exactly you were modeled in childhood. Because when we, don't witness the type of love that we want in childhood, then we subconsciously don't think that it's possible or at least don't think that it's possible for us. And we often end up in relationships that mirror the unhealthy patterning that we witnessed in our childhood. Um, on top of that, I think that our relationships really, really mirror the relationship that we have with ourselves. So in this situation, your partner is not meeting your needs. So I'd be very curious to know in what ways are you not meeting your own needs? Um, do you maybe subconsciously view yourself as like playing a victim card or playing a victim role or like, you know, being a little too much or, oh, he didn't say dramatic. He said like poor me, things like that. Do you have those types of like subconscious 
things about yourself or in childhood did anyone ever like come at you for that like I like were you like sick a lot as a kid and got a lot of shit about like trying to like play victim or play sick or like things like that did any of that type of stuff happen to you um now as far as like what I would tell you to do Step number one, I would pay a lot of attention to your nervous system. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, because I want you to do some really deep, really intense work. And in order to be able to do that deep, intense work, you're going to have to have a very regulated nervous system. Otherwise, it's not going to sink in. It's just nothing's going to come up. You're not going to be able to handle it. And number two, it sounds like you're struggling with your health a little bit and doing that nervous system work will really, really help with your otherwise health too. Step number two is to process the unresolved events from your childhood. And I'm trying to not use the word trauma because it's a loaded word and sometimes it's like kind of triggering for people. Also, the word trigger is triggering for people. So I'm trying to use those words less. Um, And, you know, when you start calling everything trauma, then it kind of loses its meaning. But I mean, any sort of event that was like painful or shameful or difficult. So like, for example, if you had a mother who was like doing everything around the house and a father who never contributed and then sometimes would like mock and ridicule her if you witness that that's something that you need to process and integrate and um, there are a lot of ways to do this you could do um, EMDR that's a great form of therapy especially if there are more you know substantial forms of trauma Um, I personally use the neural rewiring practice and the blush academy Um, you know there's an entire course on attachment styles that helps you get to secure so I use the neural rewiring practices in there that really help reshape your brain. And then once you take the charge out of these painful and shameful memories such that you no longer get like a kind of feeling towards them, then step three is to reimagine a new childhood where you had parents that were really loving and really affectionate with each other and who really had great communication and, you know, were like verbally, physically affectionate, who were really good partners and really had equal give and take in their relationships. Um, And the reason that I want you to do that is because, and this like really isn't a woo-woo thing, it's like very much rooted in science, but when we visualize in a deep hypnotic state, then we, our brains experience something as though it's actually happened. It can't actually differentiate between a real experience and something that you visualize when you do it in that deep hypnotic state. And when you repeat that over and over again, you start to build and strengthen a new neural pathway. So like, let's say you grew up in a household where, you know, your mom did everything around the house, your dad never chipped in, your dad wasn't very affectionate with your mom and your mom always felt like alone and lonely and not loved, you have this neural pathway in your brain that's like, this is what relationships are like. And so your brain is just constantly seeking to 
prove you right. And it's always going to seek out what it knows. And that's what it knows. And that's what it thinks relationships are. And so that's what you now experience. But when you give it the experience of this really loving, healthy, you know, equal partnership and you reinforce that, then that neural pathway starts to become stronger. And the more you do it, the stronger it becomes. And then it starts to compete with the other neural pathway that's there of that unhealthy relationship dynamic. And all of a sudden your brain's like, wait, this other thing is possible. We've experienced this other thing. We've seen it over and over again. Let's do that other thing, baby. And then the very last step is to mentally rehearse standing up for yourself. And I'm not going to say what standing up for yourself is, but cough, cough, break up with him. Um, but I didn't say that. And again, I, I, I'm never going to tell someone to break up with someone. I'm just, I'm not going to do that because, because I know I've been in that situation. And if someone had told me in all of these various situations to break up with them, I still don't think I would have been able to do it. So I'm not even going to do that to you. But Another tool, another way that you can use visualization as an aid is to mentally rehearse doing something. And this has been really well researched. When you visualize yourself taking a certain action and keep doing it over and over again, it becomes easier to actually take that action. Like it's wild. There have been studies on this with like piano and lifting weights and things like that. And the body actually responds to it. So start visual. Let's say, let's say hypothetically, you decide you've heard all this and you're like, I need to find fucking leave this man. I deserve better. Do steps one through three, three first. Okay. Those are going to take a while, but then start doing step four too. And just start every morning, visualize yourself picking up your phone and texting him or rolling over and saying to him, Hey, I don't think this is working out. I don't want to be together anymore. And visualize all of the steps, right? Because breaking up is hard, especially when you're essentially cohabitating. It involves packing up shit. It involves, you know, like it, it, it visualize all of the steps. And when you're in that type of relationship, oftentimes like you talk about breaking up and then you start having sex and it doesn't go through. So visualize it actually going to the final stage. Um, I hope all this is helpful. I do really recommend for you the Blush Academy just because like it's a one-stop shop to do the nervous system work and the anxious attachment stuff. But also like you might need to work one-on-one with someone, just really weigh out your options. But if you do want to look into the Blush Academy, um, the links are all in the show notes. Um, I would really, really love an update on your situation. So please write in again, please, please, please. (sighs) Okay. Let's see where we're at. Okay. Oof. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. No, we're already at an hour. Okay, let's save these last two for next month. And um, instead, let's just move on to our Foods That Make You Blush segment, where we talk about foods and nutrients that will support you as you integrate the things that we learned this week. And I think a big theme of the questions this week was um, female friendships. 
And so I thought it would be fun to talk about nutrients that support hormone health. And specifically right now, we had a full moon last week and the most common cycle is for people to ovulate with the full moon and bleed with the new moon. So the majority of you would probably be in your luteal phase, which is the like PMS stage of the cycle. So I was going to share some foods that can really support you during that stage. Um, so one thing that really helps are B vitamin rich foods because they stave off sugar cravings and they help support progesterone levels, especially vitamin B6. So some foods that are really rich in that are bananas, walnuts, brown rice, oatmeal, peanuts, potatoes, sunflower seeds, and garbanzo beans. Um, leafy greens will help boost calcium and magnesium while reducing fluid retention. So look into collard greens, watercress, mustard greens, celery juice, and spirulina. Um, root vegetables will help the liver and the large intestine flush out excess estrogen more effectively. Um, so try raw carrots, cooked sweet potatoes, and raw radishes. And legumes bind to excess estrogen in the bile and help move that bile out of the body through the poop. Um, and then if you separately from the beans then eat some kind of fat source, then you'll produce new bile that's fresh and doesn't have the excess estrogen in it. And the specific legumes that are good during the luteal phase are chickpeas, great northern beans, and navy beans. And before we sign off every week, we like to end the show with gratitude. And the reason that we do this is because having a gratitude practice is scientifically proven to make you a happier person. And to be very specific, when you list new things that you're grateful for consistently, what you're doing is you're training your brain to look for the good things in life. And they have to be new because you don't want to just repeat the same things, right? Oh, I'm grateful for my family, my job, my house, whatever. No, instead you want to really scan your day or scan your week and be like, what happened today that I'm really grateful for? And the practice of doing that is strengthening the part of your brain that looks for the good. And you're actually training yourself to be a more optimistic and happy person. And we love happy people. So I'm going to list three new things that I'm grateful for this week. And I invite you as you're listening to list three new things that you're grateful for this week. So I am grateful. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, so today I went to Italy and oh, oh, I'm grateful that a new location of Italy opened like right around the corner from me. Um, and today I was there and I saw these types of olives that I've never had before. So I bought them and they're like fresh in the refrigerated section, not like jarred ones. And I'm really fucking excited to eat them. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the olives and I'm grateful that the Italy just opened by me. Um, I am grateful. No, that's it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, oh, you know what? One of you guys DM'd me 
today about how you teach a Pilates class in Soho. And so I'm grateful for this like vibrant and amazing community that I have, which is one that I never do because like otherwise I'd say it every week and that defeats the whole purpose. But specifically, I'm grateful that you reached out about the Pilates class and I really, really want to come. And I am grateful I'm grateful that the camera hasn't overheated. You know what? I'm grateful that I thought to put the AC on 65 in the dead of fucking winter to get the studio nice and crisp and chilly so that the camera doesn't overheat. (laughs) I'll say that. Does that work? Uh, But seriously, every fucking week, I'm so grateful for you guys. Like, truly so fucking grateful that I got to do this. And, you know, I always think back on the version of me from 2018 who was dating the comedian and going ape shit and not understanding why and just trying to control her behavior, like manually holding closed a sock drawer and never being able to do it. And I wish so much that a podcast like this existed for that version of me back then. And unfortunately, I can't turn back time and, you know, give this to her. But instead, I can give this for all of the people who are currently in the place that I was in back then. So... I love you guys so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you took anything from this, please, please, please share this episode. That's how we keep the show going. That's how it keeps growing. And if you wrote in a question, I'd really, really love an update. And if you haven't written in a question, write one in for next month and definitely check out next week because it really piggybacks off of a lot of stuff that we talked about this week. Love you guys. Bye.